0: hi guys and welcome back for episode 11 of unfiltered welcome back mark hello how's your week been
1: weekend's been better
0: Well, ain't that the truth. I get to see you every Sunday now. What a blessing. I know. You're welcome. Thank you, doll. Uh, So this is a bit more of a serious episode this week and one where you'll be taking a bit of the lead. You are the knowledgeable one on this subject. Do you want to tell everyone what we're talking about this week?
1: Yeah. So six years ago, a boy you probably remember called William Tyrrell disappeared while playing outside his foster grandmother's home at Kendall on the New South Wales mid-north coast. He was wearing... A Spider-Man suit, and I think most people are, affiliate that with him now.
0: It's a bit of an iconic image. It sure with the investigation. is, so he was
1: playing tigers on the lawn with his older sister. Um, Kendall's a really sleepy town, it's really picturesque. His foster mother went inside and then she came out. She went to make a cup of tea, as you would, a quiet town, a holiday place, two seconds inside. And then the three-year-old had vanished and he hasn't been seen since. As many people know, there was a huge search that went underway for nine days, covered more than 50 square kilometers. Wow. And uh, there have been many searches over the years. There have been, I think, around 500 persons of interest that have come up on the list of New South Wales police. There have been three changes in lead detectives. So we know that uh, the original detective was on the case for five months and then uh, former detective now, Gary Jubelin, led the case for four years. He's a very well-decorated detective in New South Wales. He wears the black and white suits. And he's
0: very recognisable as far as sort of senior police. Uh, he's probably one of the most recognisable faces in Australia.
1: Yeah, and he's um, covered cases like the Matthew Leveson yes, and uh, the Bowerville murders. Uh, so, but he is no longer a detective, and so he was on that case for four years and now, recently, uh, Detective Chief Inspector Laylaw is now taking over that investigation. but mm-hmm. this week has been um, concluded nineteen months of hearings at the mm-hmm. inquest into his death, so that was set up to try and uh, see if uh, police or anyone could try and work out any sort of new lead or if any new information to try and solve this case, because it has been quite some time.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was only uh, last month that was the six year anniversary. So if William is still alive, because there it, we have no idea what happened to this little boy.
1: Well, I mean, look, it, it is suspected that he has died. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's been so long. Um, that's what the coroner said. Um, and it's also a, a suspected abduction. So... Um, what we heard this week was some closing statements from both his families. So William Terrell, um was put into foster care at around nine months. Mm-hmm. So his birth parents have a history of domestic violence and substance abuse. So he was taken away from them and put into foster care. Did
0: they have other children who were put into foster care?
1: His sister... Was also put into foster care with the same foster parents as William. Right. So they were putting together. So
0: his foster sister isn't actually his foster sister.
1: She is, she is completely his related to biological him. sister. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so that the foster parents, his foster family, and then when he was at Kendall and he disappeared, he was at his foster family's home. Yes. So, um, and they, the birth family, still got to visit William now and then, and mm-hmm. his sister. Um, we can't say uh, her name. Um, because she's in foster care. Yes. But, um, but so they did get to see the birth parents. And then of course, uh, he disappeared on 12th September, 2014.
0: Were guys, I'm learning all of this along with you. I hope you find this as interesting as I do. So were the, so was William and his sister, were they forcibly removed or were well, they were, relinquished by the biological they, parents?
1: They were taken by the department of families. I think it's it's it was docs yes. now it's something else yes
0: and so they were they the birth parents didn't sort of give their no right they wanted over. to keep william got and, it uh, they didn't they keep... disappear with him for a period of time they did yes. so
1: um that was just before docs was supposed to take them away uh they Hid, hid with him mm-hmm. for a few months mu- or a month or so and then police found him so um that was that was them wanting to desperately keep him yes. obviously um the birth family you know this has affected them as of much course. as it has with the foster family so because
0: he had been hidden by his uh biological parents prior to going into foster care were they ever in the spotlight in terms of suspicion of having taken him at Three when he disappeared from the foster grandmother's place?
1: So the birth parents and the foster parents originally, of course, were questioned yes. over the disappearance as most relatives are, mm-hmm. people in close contact with anyone uh, where a crime has been committed or a potential crime. Uh, they have both been cleared by investigators. Mm-hmm. So, um, of course, that would have been a really difficult time for them being questioned over you know, um, their loved one's disappearance. Uh, The other thing is is that um, William Tyrrell, when he disappeared, there was no evidence. So the other thing we saw from the initial search is that there were so many volunteers and so many police and so many investigators pouring over 48 Banneroon Drive that as a result, there have been questions over, well, if there were so many people who had access to the crime scene mm-hmm. than potential tampering with evidence. So at the inquest this week, uh, the foster parents said, you know, I think in future it'd be better if crime scenes were secured. Yes. Um, but, the, but the issue is there. they didn't really know what was going on. They thought this boy had wandered off. So everyone was just looking. But, you know, if he was potentially taken, mm-hmm. then the person who took him could have covered that quite easily yeah. given there were so many people KMK so key evidence exactly mm. so that's another thing that was brought up this week um, so we did hear from both families so the uh, foster family opened that last day by handing a book of colour photographs to the coroner mm-hmm. and those colour photographs some of them have never been seen before so they handed it to the coroner to say please keep these pictures in mind when you're looking over you know, 19 months of evidence before you hand down the findings in June next year. And then they spoke about various different things. Uh, We heard um, from the foster mother who talked about how difficult it was driving back to Sydney eventually because they were there on holiday and looking back and seeing his car sit in the back and how that absolutely tore them apart. We also heard...
0: Can I just interrupt you? When I read that, I thought that was so searing because you sent me your article that you wrote about it, mm. uh, because this is what you do for a job and you've been going to these, you know, hearings for mm. this long period of time. And when I read that I'm not yet a parent, but the idea of showing up with two children yeah. and going home with one is kind of an acknowledgement that he's not coming home.
1: No, and and dri- making that long drive back to mm. Sydney, it's a long way. Um, the other thing that they brought up was um, how, you know, it felt like their hearts been splintered into a million pieces. That was testimony from the foster father. They also, for the first time, we heard a recording from William Tyrrell's older sister. So at the time she was five and obviously William Tyrrell vanished in front of her eyes. But she doesn't remember what happened that day. And she said she barely remembers him now. Of course. She is 10 years old. But... This recording was played to the court for the first time we've heard from her. And she talked about how that if um, police can't solve this case that when she gets older, she wants to be a detective and join the New South Wales police force to find him and said she would never give up. So that I've was... just
0: got that quote so that we've just got it directly for people. I hope this speech makes you solve the case, she said. If it doesn't, when I'm officially adult, I will be in the police force, a detective specifically, And I will find my brother and not give up until he is found. Please help my family, most of all me, find our precious William. Which is pretty incredible coming from a 10-year-old.
1: It sure is. And she was really eloquent over um, the recording. And And you, which you heard. Exactly. And so the foster parents didn't actually listen to that recording. It was made separately by her. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, obviously when you cover this case over six years, you're so focused on just trying to get the information out there trying to cover the case so you're not sort of eventually you become desensitized Mm -hmm. but hearing a 10 year old's voice talk like that is was probably the first time in a long time that I think a lot of the reporters in the room who had covered this story for so long everyone was in tears I mean, Mm. it was hard not to be and and it sort of brings it back to reality that this is a young boy who's disappeared a family two families who are desperate to know what happened to him mm. um so that was uh really heartbreaking she talked talked about her innocent brother how they were friends That we heard he had a jovial cheeky personality mm. and he's a beautiful kid he's the a really
0: videos of him mm. he's just such a vibrant Little happy. boy, yeah. happy little boy, so engaging, so clearly creative the way you know what he was doing before he was he mm. even disappeared, you know, loved playing Tigers and yes. Spider Man suit and obviously had this real little personality. It's yeah. I can imagine, yeah, over nineteen months it would be so about the facts and about reporting it the way that you need to. Mm. And then it comes back to this is a this is a little boy and we just we don't know what happened to him. No,
1: and and the other thing is we heard from the, um, a family statement read on behalf of the birth family. Mm. That was read by um, their barrister, Michelle Swift, who's amazing. She's a great lawyer. Um, and uh, she read that statement. The birth grandmother was sitting in the witness box next to her because obviously it was quite difficult for them to... Not everyone can get up and talk in a, in a court. Mm. And uh, they she actually the birth grandmother made reference in this statement saying that she felt like she lost two sons as well, because she's seen her son who's William's birth father, mm-hmm. um, go through some really serious mental health issues and really struggle as a result of this. And she felt, felt like she's lost him in a way in, in a sense, you know, his soul mm-hmm. and then watching him lose his son. And we heard from him in that statement and he said he felt like he lost two sons that day one to foster care when originally William was handed over and then again on the 12th of September 2014 so um it was quite some pretty harrowing evidence from them um but it was important to hear from them because I think it just makes it more real again it has been six years and and people tend to
0: I can't imagine having experienced loss. Obviously I lost my dad in August of last year, and then I lost my grandmother in May of this year. People who are obviously not three-year-old little boys, but still people are significant to us in their own ways. I can't imagine not only the knowledge that this person is likely gone, but that you don't know how or why or where they are because there is such, I mean, it is an absolute tragedy to lose a child in any context it's tragic to lose anybody, but the loss of a child, I think is just, it can't be compared to anything, but without that resolution and that ritual of saying goodbye and having a place to go and knowing where they are and what happened to them, it would be like, it would just be like they, you know, you were losing them every day.
1: And that's been compounded with so many other challenges, uh, which I write about in my piece on the ABC news website. Uh, so the other issue that came up from the foster parents was this sort of uh, hierarchy and uh, leadership problems within the New South Wales Police Force so we know Gary Jubelin was this detective they really loved they formed a close bond with he was uh, found guilty of misconduct and taken off the case and convicted so was he
0: not also fined
1: he was fined $10,000 as well but he didn't do any jail time basically what he did was He illegally recorded four conversations with a former suspect, Paul Savage, who lived across the road from the house. Yes. And there's never been any evidence to link him to the crime, never been arrested, no charges. Yet Gary was on his case for quite some time. And realistically, a police officer can't just record you without your knowledge well
0: nobody can I well they mean, need a
1: warrant yes a, a, a warrant from the court which well, they it's, did
0: it's like if i was recording this conversation exactly. and you were some for some reason blind to the enormous microphone that's in front of your face <laughs> and i published it or did something with it yeah uh that would not be legal you no. have to have knowledge and awareness and that you're so being recorded
1: the interesting thing was police did have a warrant at certain times to have recordings bugged around his house yes although when gary did it it was on his mobile phone yes. so it's illegal and I guess the, the issue is is that um, obviously this really upset a lot of um, families of victims of crime who have had his support seeing him go through this process And uh, but also if the court ruled that that was okay well it sets a dangerous precedent yes. because that means any police officer could make any recording mm. and he was saying he made those recordings to protect his own lawful interests so he was worried that because of the tensions between Paul Savage and him as you know of course there would be being
0: because he was he was pursuing him pretty aggressively he was
1: and he's an old man and uh, I think Gary Jubelin was worried that maybe he could turn around make an accusation and not have that recording but Mm. um, as we know that's that's not an excuse and uh, so seeing him come off the case was really hard for the foster family um, and
0: and like you said, the wider community loss, that this is a really well-respected, incredibly dedicated, detective, yeah. very uh, intelligent, kind of cute, won't lie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not the first to say that. <laughs>
0: Doesn't look terrible in a suit, uh, Gary. Uh, and he, yeah, he's someone who people really... Uh, respect and hold his work in high regard Mm. and I'm sure has brought a lot of comfort to a lot of families because of his dogged pursuit of uh, criminals especially when it comes to cases to do with children and yeah particularly for that those foster parents that he was taken off the case at the stage that he was would have been very devastating
1: yeah and I think what they talk about is he was replaced by the current detective chief inspector David Laidlaw and uh what we heard about in this inquest was that they one of the biggest challenges was keeping the new south wales commitment going Mm. new south wales police commitment going Mm. and they talked about how their leadership went from empathetic to cold leadership and of course that's a reference to gary jublin empathetic and then the most recent leadership being cold in their own words Mm. so um And so not only did they have that challenge, we also know that the strike force, which was set up um, initially to investigate this six years ago, had 26 full-time investigators on it. That's been reduced down to five in six years. And it also... It's not necessarily, you know, the will of the New South Wales police force. It's 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 the resourcing. Yeah. And 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 it's,
0: it's it's also the fact that there's no, there's no fresh leads. And you've got to be fair to
1: all homicide cases, Mm. you know, I mean, as much as it's hard to hear that, and especially for the families, you know, there are other, you know, murders that are still unsolved in New South Wales that need those resources. So, so there was that whole police infighting, if you like, and, Um, what happened with Gary Jubelin, you know, if it was any other cop, do you think someone would have gone after him Mm. for illegally recording things?
0: Question, Mm. am I incorrect in thinking that he had, uh, there was a bit of animosity between himself and another fairly senior detective and that's where a lot of this information came from about the secret recordings, etc.?
1: So there is, you know, he would argue that he was sort of made an example of by... You know, people in the New South Wales Police Force. We've seen this so many times. We've seen officers where they're sort of hung out to dry within the New South Wales Police Force, and um, you know, they say media is brutal, but mm. I think being an officer Absolutely. is also is, it's cutthroat. That well, whole it seems industry. like
0: cutting off your nose to spite your face to make an example of mm. somebody as you know decorated and respected and and effective as Gary Jubilant, yeah, uh, and to lose his his skill and his talent entirely it just seems like a real waste
1: and I think um I think so that was one challenge they also spoke about the trolling they received from strangers the foster parents oh really so for example the foster mother spoke at the inquest this week and she said that I'll give you a few examples um that she said Uh, someone a troll online actually tracked down her father's grave and took a photo of it and put it online their identities have been disclosed online as you know when a child is a victim of crime you can't reveal the identities of the foster parents or the birth parents because that then identifies; it becomes very messy. Mm. Um,
0: Particularly when you have another child to protect his biological sister. Exactly.
1: So that's where it's very murky. Yes. So I mean, I'm and not...
0: I think sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's where because I wanted to ask you about this. I didn't understand for so long why we didn't know that he was a mm. foster child. We, I didn't understand why for so long. Well, still to this day, legally the foster parents can't be named. The biological family mm. has. Been named? Mm. Um, oh, no, they
1: haven't.
0: I thought they had. No, no, they but haven't. how come they're shown in they're interviews? Not shown. They're
1: not shown. Uh, oh, the, sorry. Mother the, the mother was back in the day, a long time ago, but uh, there are suppressions over it now.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay, it's mm. so it's, it's, it's so very, confusing,
1: it's, and it's, it gets it gets. To be bogged down in it becomes a bit, you know, it's, I, I even just, I know that I can't talk about that yes. identities, So that's just how yeah, I get yeah, it. You just don't question it no. because
0: I think for a lot of, for you from a professional standpoint, you just become adept to, you know, these legal requirements where it's like, oh yeah, no, yeah. of course they can't be named. I think the way the public interprets a lot of it is that there's something more sinister going on.
1: Yeah, no, no, nothing like that at all. Yeah. Um, But so the, yeah, so her father's grave being photographed and put online. Uh, They also spoke about their identities being published despite the coroner saying there are suppression orders in place. Um, We also saw all sorts of different things, like she spoke about how uh, Williams sister we you know they've been photographed with her on the street by strangers they've had yeah. drive by, drive-bys of people driving past their house so their
0: addresses yes yeah, so they've essentially been
1: stalked harassed been doxed, bullied really yeah and 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 to for, for all because there are people out there that have all sorts of different conspiracy theories about mm. what happened to William Tyrrell and some of them are incredibly bizarre yes. and also hurtful. Yes. Um, including, you know, they were, it's like with Madeleine McCann in the yeah. UK when she was, you know, abducted from Portugal. That still remains unsolved. And for ages they thought the parents did it. So there's all these t- sorts of things that still keep going. And it
0: comes back around. It there does. was that Madeline McCann documentary where... that was being speculated on again that there was some parents involvement and I think you're right because I also wanted to ask you what you think drives this because it happened six years ago Mm. there's a lot of crimes that happened many years ago that people kind of like the public interest kind of wanes and it and it seems that not only does the public interest seem to be sustained but as you say it becomes more extreme because it's on in Facebook groups. There's entire online communities Mm. dedicated to conspiracy theories centering around William Tyrrell's disappearance. And so much of it is aimed at the biological family and also the foster family. What is it that you think drives these, you know, communities or this, this high interest in these cases?
1: I I find it bizarre in terms of people wanting to be so involved. We also know she actually made mention the foster mother that uh, some of those trolls have been sitting in the courtroom when evidence has been given. And we know that's true. We know that's true. Um, so they've been sitting in the courtroom because it's a public gallery. Anyone can sit in the courtroom. Really? Anyone.
0: Is, have, the, have the hearings is it, been full, like at capacity, uh, over the 19 months?
1: Well, I mean...
0: Is there a lot of public attendance?
1: N- no, not just... Ra- I mean, there's a few randoms, but... It's sort of, you don't really know who's who because you don't It's a weird thing
0: to want to do with your day, isn't it? Well,
1: no, there's a lot of court watching. It's a huge thing. Really? Yeah, there's a whole community of so- them at the Downing so- Centre in Sydney. Really? Yeah, and they come to big cases like, you know, um, Chris Dawson being charged over yeah. the um, murder of his wife, you know, so long ago on Sydney's Northern Beaches. Mm. You know, there's a whole podcast with Heavy Thomas on it. Um, the big cases, like Gary Jubelin, of course, had a lot of support from... Victims, yes. um, families of victims of crime—that's a bit different. Um, yeah. What some, do you
0: think it is? What is the public fascination? To be fascination?
1: honest, it's—I it's, think it's a um, fascination in crime, and, yeah. and I mean, you know, forget your true crime podcast. Mm. You can actually go to the court hearing, so anyone can go. All you need to do there's an app on your phone that uh, you can type in the name, and it comes up when the hearing is. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, some people just are so fascinated by. By you know that type of crime, yeah. high-profile crime, and
0: I think that podcasts and documentaries certainly have something to account for. Probably mm. more recently, if you look up the true crime category on you know the podcast app, it's endless. And in fact, at the moment, the number one uh, podcast in Australia is of course the Night Driver, mm. the Australian podcast uh, created by Hedley Thomas about the disappearance and likely murder of Janine Vaughan in. Bathurst and this is the you know creator of the internationally renowned it was like the number one podcast teacher's
1: pad yeah Mm. all over
0: the world for months when it came out was it 2018 I think it was
1: uh, about
0: the likely murder of Lynette Dawson Mm. uh, and it's suspected that her husband Chris Dawson who's been charged who has been charged with the murder so
1: there's problems with Journalists doing podcasts about yes. crimes, and this is almost ironic in a way. But I'm not actually <laughs> not. This is not been, casting. This is being put to an inquest. We're just yes. talking about what happened. Yes. in open court. Yeah, we're not just, drawing conclusions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So basically, the problem with the teacher's pet podcast, and I've covered the case in the early stages. Not so much recently. There's a lot of legal complications around it, so of we'll be careful. But um, basically. The podcast uh Headley Thomas, who's a journalist with the Australian, he interviewed some witnesses that hadn't yet been contacted by police, mm. and that evidence was put to air on the podcast freely, and now some of it has been deemed inadmissible, of meaning course. it can't be used so there are there are concerns obviously that if you um, put evidence out there before New South Wales police get to it or whatever then you could potentially jeopardize a case mm. so that hasn't happened yet but there are real concerns about that and he is very much now part of this legal process as a journalist mm. he was meant to try and and look the intentions there and it is good obviously did put the case back out in the spotlight oh,
0: hugely um,
1: so there is an argument to be said that it gained more attention and of course charges were laid against Chris Dawson Mm -hmm. however there's also an argument to say is it really the media's role to be delving into the actual investigation it's it's a bit of a it's it's, a hard one yeah
0: it's the irony because I remember look I was really invested in the teacher's pet it was it's incredibly well produced uh podcast it's it's fantastic and it also was bringing to light a cold case murder um that well, potential murder, but a cold case about her disappearance, and there were you know allegations of domestic violence, etc. And crimes against women aren't taken all that seriously in Australia, and so to have not only Australian attention on this, but internationally people taking such interest in this woman's disappearance was pretty incredible. I think
1: I think um, I I hear what you say about um, you know. W- crimes involving women not being taken seriously i think that's i think that's dubious Mm -hmm. and of course me being a man you know that's questionable me even having his opinion Mm. but um but i would say that things have changed a lot Mm. um i still think there's a way to go but you know in terms of um the reporting on domestic violence even the media now reports on every domestic violence which is fantastic historic historically
0: speaking especially like this was a crime which happened decades ago but historically speaking and this is a whole other podcast episode but i always found it interesting that say for instance with the death of jill Maher, the murder the Mm. rape and murder of jill ma that was at the hands of a serial rapist Mm. adrian bailey who Mm. had been you know charged with rape many times over and Mm. had spent short stints in jail man haran monas was out on bail for
1: multiple siege.
0: sexual harassment and sexual assault charges and the uh, conspiratorial uh, aspects of his wa- his wife's murder, who was stabbed mm. and set on fire by his current partner. And then the Lint
1: Cafe siege. And then
0: the Lint Cafe and, yeah. it, and the whole of Australia was saying, how was this man out on mm. bail? And my answer was... Because they were crimes against women, you know. It's this. It seems to be serial, and then one serious thing happens, and we I all pay attention. I think it's also attention. got to do
1: with it's not. It's not necessarily police per se. It's the whole system. It's mm. a justice system. Mm-hmm. It's a court system. Um, you know, we know that often you know, innocent people do go to jail mistakenly and then well, they get let off eventually, the charges get dropped. So yeah. um, it's... It just... I think we can probably do like women in
0: crime in uh, <laughs>
1: another, another episode because we could
0: be here for another That's hour. True. Um But I'd really like to hear from you mm. about your personal experience given you've attended these hearings over mm. the last 19 months mm. and you touched on it before because I will occasionally check in with you given that you report solely on crime these days, right? That, you know, I want to check in on you with your mental health, et cetera, Mm. because of the seriousness and sometimes, you know, the grisly details that you're reporting on and what you're exposed to. Mm. How did you kind of manage or what was your experience personally in the 19 months that you were attending Um,
1: the hearings? To be honest, I mean... The thing is, you're covering that case with um, the same journalists from, you know, Channel 10, Channel 7, 9, The Australian. So you kind of form a bit of a bond. Mm -hmm. I mean, we went up to Tari for two of the sittings, which is just near Kendall. And then, you know, it was nice. Some of us stayed in Port Macquarie and we went for Mexican and drinks after. And and so you do talk about that stuff. And um, there is that sort of release. And it's nice. Like the other day, I went for a drink with um, my friend Leah Harris from 10 who also does a William Tyrrell podcast which is amazing
0: that's where's William Tyrrell which you can find Apple podcast Spotify if you want to do a bit of a deep dive after this episode
1: it's a good podcast it's um done by channel 10 but Leah is a great journalist she knows she knows this case more than anyone she was there from day one so it's worth listening to Mm. um but so you had drinks with her the other night yeah so yeah and that was nice and we talk about that stuff so for me it's really um you know, in a way, you're you're glad that when you hear some evidence that you are still feeling emotive, because um, otherwise you kind of question: have you become too desensitized? Mm. Um, you know, at the moment, though, there are there have been so many different bits of evidence that have come out recently. So we know convicted pedophile Frank Abbott was living in a caravan. You know, about a ten minute drive away from Kendall searches have taken place around his property in recent years although there's no evidence to to suggest he's involved in this crime but we have heard from a young girl who said that he told her that he killed William and put him in a suitcase so stuff like that that's really awful Mm. um and he uh won't be giving evidence he has been there watching from his prison cell he is behind bars for separate child sex offenses um, so that's obviously been really hard for the parents as well to watch this and for us to hear this. I mean, the other thing is you don't know what's true and what's not when mm. you're hearing these different accounts. So um, at this stage, it's still, you know, no one really knows who is the main suspect or mm. anything like that. It's,
0: Even though it's not conclusive because i know in other coronial inquests they've kind of put forward well this is what likely happened was there any of that they
1: will do that in june next year great okay we will hear the findings and you know who knows we might hear that you know it's suspected he died which we already sort of know Mm -hmm. we often in these cases you can hear things that you already know Mm -hmm. that are not groundbreaking or something will drop that's you know wow um the other thing as well if if this inquest doesn't um you know sort of shed too much light on it it can there can be other inquests opened um or otherwise it goes to unsolved homicide which mm. is really sad because that's sort of where cases go where there's nothing left nothing left to nothing left do to with them do with them i mean the they still keep being investigated and look uh Le- lynette dawson's an example of a cold mm. case that was you know still investigated and then you know her husband Chris Dawson was charged with murder so yeah. um, but it is often when cases go to unsolved homicide it's really like you know it's sad yeah because you think they really they have no idea what to do and in a lot of cases as the foster mother said she feels like we're still in square one
0: absolutely I mean I can't imagine how they've survived all of this I can't imagine that feeling of waking up every day and just not knowing and having Mm. so many questions and so many scenarios running through your head and the torture of you know trying to imagine what happened to this little boy and the idea that a little boy can go missing and no one's held accountable for it is Mm. just unthinkable it's unfathomable yeah
1: and look police are still asking for anyone who has any information to come forward Mm. very easy just to make a call so uh yeah if anyone does know anything or has any information. What
0: if we crack the case, Doll? Yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice. Someone (laughs) to
1: crack the case would be really nice. It would be. It Um, would be. Cool.
0: So I really appreciate that. I found that personally really interesting because obviously I've I've taken an interest in the case as most people have. But there's so many details which, you know, we're fair door that we find through the media, but without having sat in on those hearings mm. you know you, you're obviously not going to get the full picture so super super interesting
1: yeah no and you could talk about it for days I yes mean, it's, it's six years into half an hour yeah so um so you know i hope that was interesting
0: so guys thank you so much for joining us this week we will catch you next monday with a brand new episode don't forget to drop mark and i a line either on our twitter mark is at ready news or his instagram mark ready or you can come and uh, have a chat to me at what Mia did next, both on Twitter and Instagram, with any episode ideas you have, yeah, any questions any topics. you have. And also feedback. We got some great feedback this week and we ha- a bit of discussion going on in the DMs, which was great. There
1: have been some private messages where people have actually started writing in, yeah. which, um, which I've now worked out how to check. So. And at
0: some point, we're going to work on intro music, yeah, Instagram for the podcast. It's all on the list, promise. But we're just initially just having a lot of fun kind of... Working it out, finding our podcast. Trial and error. That's it. That's it. So guys, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next Monday.